Coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I guarantee that if you start eating more food, if you have a lot of weight to lose and you're eating 1,100 calories, if you somehow get up to, you, you end up, you know, getting up to like 2,500 calories or 3,000 calories, and you, you at the same time are doing all the other lifestyle practices that I just talked about, sleeping and managing your stress and exercising and moving your body and all that fun stuff. Like maybe you put on a few extra pounds of fat, but you're starting from 3,000 calories as opposed to 11, 1,100 calories, right? And you have a, you, if you have a lot of weight to lose, you need to cut out a lot of food to get there. And you can't do that from 1,100 calories, right? So you're, and your body's, your hormones and everything is going to be optimized eating enough proper amount of food. And so you put yourself in this state where you're like, op, you're primed to start losing weight. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed Primal Health Coach Ryan Baxter. Ryan explains his journey into optimizing his hormones, overcoming thyroid issues, and improving his gut health. We also discussed the importance of eating more to become healthier, how to start obstacle races, the importance of grip strength, the many benefits of walking, and his one tip to get your body back to what it once was. Really enjoyed my interview with Ryan. I know you will too. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin and I have Ryan Baxter on the show. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for coming on. First heard uh, your episode with Brad Kearns, and uh, Brad's a good friend of mine, so thought it'd be great to have you on on the show. Yeah, it was, it was great for Brad to make the introduction and, and connect us, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Brad's the, a great guy, great friend. Yeah, and um, I know you've done a few different podcasts with him. Um, maybe for my audience, give him a little background of um, you know, what you're up to day to day and, and, um, you know, so, sort of what got you into this, the health realm? Yeah. Uh, I'll try to keep the story kind of short and sweet. <laughs> so sure. some more interested <laughs> in content, but, um, I, um, uh, like I was mentioned to you before we started recording, I'm a, I'm a software engineer. So my, I'm your typical software engineer. Like you imagine this nerdy kid, right. That's that, that was me growing up. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, so, uh, <laughs> athletics and, and health weren't uh, top of mind for me uh, for the first 20 or so years of my life. Um, uh, but eventually, I once I got out of uh, college, I decided to, um, you know, pay a little bit of attention to it. Uh, my wife, uh, at the time, my girlfriend was, she was doing like 5Ks and stuff like that. And that kind of got me interested in like, oh, you know. I would go to the gym, but I wanted to put something behind going to the gym. It's like going to gym for no reason kind of seemed silly. And I was kind of just flailing around in the gym, not really knowing what I was doing. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I have no background in athletics. I didn't really like the idea of running, but, uh, for some reason, obstacle course racing sounded really enticing to me. Um, I think it was partly because it was out like out in nature, out in trails. And there was also like, it wasn't just running. It was, it was running with obstacles so it was you know there was different uh components of fitness involved and so it sounded interesting to me i kind of dove right in but i didn't know where to begin i didn't have an endurance background at all 
Um, and at the, at the time, I had uh, started Googling, obviously, because that's what, that's what software engineers do, right? Uh, <laughs> and uh, came across Ben Greenfield. Um, yeah. And started listening to his podcast because he was into obstacle course racing at the, at the time. And then uh, he had on this guy called Mark Sisson <laughs> on this podcast. At the time, they, they had, Brad and him uh, had just released the Primal Endurance book. And so that kind of got me down this path of, you know, this this sounded like a great way to train and great way to to feel yourself and all this other stuff and kind of dove head in um, and uh, being a very detail oriented type A type of person. I really got into it um, and uh, it worked, you know, the, obviously the principles in that book and, and I firmly believe in ancestral health and stuff like that. They, they worked right. I mean, they got me. I was able to complete my obstacle course races. I, I did really good. Uh, or I did good enough for myself, but eventually, as I do further and further into this, and I started going harder and harder and harder mm -hmm. uh, into both training and health and diet and whatnot, um, I went too far and uh, got myself in a little bit of trouble. Um, I was not uh, eating enough to match uh, the energy expenditure that I was putting out. Uh, I was really into endurance. Um, I was just uh, end up with, uh, you know, low thyroid, low testosterone, a couple of uh, gut bugs, candida and C. diff. And um, my mood was terrible at the time. I was traveling a lot uh, for work. I was literally flying around the world, uh, you know, several times a year. Um, I had a young infant daughter, um, so a lot of life stress and circadian disruption and just it all kind of compounded and I kind of just like, I went to my doctor and he was like, Oh, you're the spitting image of health. Like you're, you know, you're young, you're, you're super lean, you're active, blah, blah. blah. And I was like, well, I feel like absolute garbage. I don't know if I can swear, but <laughs> garbage. Um, and, uh, uh, he was like, now you're fine. He didn't want a single blood test. Um, and so I eventually came across, uh, listening to another podcast I came across, um, uh, Chris Kelly from Nourish Bounce Thrive. Um, at the time, he was working with Dr. Tommy Wood. Um, and um, I connected with them, and they kind of got me, you know, <laughs> ready the ships, per se, right? And uh, show me kind of what I was doing wrong and how maybe you could do, you know, incorporate a lot of these ancestral health practices, um, but still do some not necessarily ancestrally aligned uh, physical activity. Um, and that kind of got me down the path. And, um, after I, uh, spent a long time trying to, um, you know, get my health back to where I was satisfied, I decided that I want to help other people. Um, and so I got my health coach certification from, uh, the Primal Health Coach Institute and, um, started health coaching people and sharing my knowledge and trying to help other people, uh, that are both in similar situations to me or in completely other, in different situations to me. And, um, yeah, I've been doing that part time now for six or so years. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of the short and sweet background of myself here. <laughs> <laughs> and what year was that around when you started? Uh, when I started to feel like absolute garbage, uh, it was around 2016. Okay. Around then. Um, uh, yeah, I probably got connected with uh, Chris Kelly and, and Dr. Tommy Wood around 2016, 2017, around there. Um, yeah, I had just kind of finished i'd finished my last obstacle course race for the year and 
uh, was chatting with my wife and I was just like, I don't feel good. And she's like, I know you don't feel good. And, uh, so we decided to do something about it that, at that point. So yeah, started to starting to affect my family life and stuff like that and my work life. And that was a, a big awakening moment for me. So I, at that point, um, you know, decided I need to do something. So you had, uh, these compounding stressors that sort of just added up over time. Huh? Yeah, it was interesting because like, you know, I, I think if I had to sum up what got me, you know, down the wrong path was that I was consuming, I love to consume information. I love to learn. I'm a, a constant learner, podcast, books, audible, yeah. you know, all that stuff. Um, and I was consuming all this information around ancestral health and keto and paleo and primal and, and all, all this stuff. And, um, you know, a lot of, uh, the people who create content, um, you know, they create really great content, but it's targeted towards the majority of people. Um, and at the time I was not in that majority, right? Like, uh, I was not an overweight, inactive person eating a standard American diet. I was an extremely active, already very lean, um, you know, person who was already eating a very healthy diet. And I was just restrict i was applying that information in a context that was not correct right um i was i was trying to restrict 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 and be more hardcore paleo more hardcore keto and more hardcore intermittent fasting and blah 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 when i really should have been doing a lot of the opposite um yeah i didn't know you know i didn't understand that you know at the time mm -hmm. Um, so I, right. I think that would kind of sum up how I got myself into a little bit of a hole there. And I'm assuming you eventually got blood work done. I mean, obviously you didn't feel good and you said your, your doctors didn't, or your doctor didn't do any blood tests, but did you just do yeah. that on your own? No. So when I got connected with, uh, Chris Kelly and Dr. Tommy Wooded from Nourish Balance Thrive, um, I, they ran like all the tests, like everything I had all, I had like the most extensive blood work done. The, the number of vials of blood that came out of my arm were it was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, I had urine tests. I had stool tests. I had, you know, all kinds of things uh, that were done at, at that point. So, um, yeah, lots of lots of blood work. And, you know, obviously it came back. It was probably no surprise to them because, like, when I was listening to Chris Kelly on, on the podcast I was listening on, he was, like, describing the type of people that he worked with. And he was like, talk, I felt like he was talking to me. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you were like describing me to a T. So I'm sure when I showed up, you know, him and, and, and Dr. Wood probably already knew exactly what that blood work and all those tests were going to come back as. And um, yeah, it was, it was not necessarily a pretty sign. <laughs> yeah. I hear that. And, you know, uh, blood work now, it's like, I feel like, for one one thing, I don't actually have like a general doctor that I go see that much now anymore. Like, I feel like taking not to say that that's right or wrong. I think it's probably good to yeah. have a general practitioner to go to. But uh, as far as just getting full blood panels, <clears throat> there's a lot of companies that have come out. I know like Merrick Health, um, you know, Nourish Balance Thrive. Do, do yeah. you continue to get your blood work done through them, or do you just you know how do you, how do you go about doing that? No, what I mean, once I once I got my 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 health to a point where I was satisfied, um, we kind of you know I ended the relationship with with Nourish Balance Thrive, obviously. Yeah. Um, but um, I had gotten so many blood draws 
during that time, of course, of several years that I knew exactly what I could request on a blood panel and see what that looks like. Um, okay. And so I've done several since that. Now I have a, a doctor that I work with locally that um, he's he's very open to my way of thinking and, and is very acceptive of that stuff and is a very open-minded person. Um, and so um, I can go to him and say, you know, I want these things on this blood draw. And he's like, okay, you know, sounds good to me. Right. Um, and part of that's because I end up, he gives me a discount on blood draw, but I end up paying out of pocket for, for it anyway. So at the end, he's not, he doesn't have to bill it through insurance. Um, it's just severely discounted. Um, so I get my blood work now through him, but you know, before I got connected with him, I would just request it on my own. And there's, like you said, there's several different, um, sites now that you can go to um, in almost every state to request your own blood work. Yeah. And so, and I think, and I, I also think that, um, and I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, we don't need to get so extensive with our blood work. I think if you even get like a basic panel that costs, you know, a hundred, hundred dollars maybe, which I understand can be cost prohibitive for some people, but um, you know, is, is also something that is within reach for a lot of people, especially if we're talking about like your health, I think, you know, a hundred dollar investment is not that bad. Um, but you can learn a lot, um, just by looking at that. And obviously you need someone to interpret that stuff, but you know, the cost to get the data is, is not that accessible. So like you can request it yourself if your doctor won't, won't do it for you. So, yeah. And uh, so 2016, you started to, you know, obviously, well, when did you start making changes like 2017 and, and maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe take us through that journey. You went from, you know, yeah. sort of this primal paleo to. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, I've, I'm still, I, I would still consider myself uh, uh, someone who eats primal. Yeah, I've never given up on that. I, I think that, I think that ancestral health, um, that model, while I don't think that we should like literally go back and, and live like cavemen, um, I, I do think that the mismatch between our genetics and our modern environment is, has a lot to do with a lot of the health problems that we see today. Mm -hmm. Um, so I do think that that model provides a good framework, uh, for everyone, uh, to achieve optimal health in. Um, and it's just, you need to customize it, which is what I was kind of getting at before. You need to apply the right context or take a look at the context in which you're living, your goals, et cetera, and customize it to fit that, that approach. Right. So, um, basically what I did is instead of trying to a lot, of, a lot of the work that I've done, um, since that time is really just trying to figure out what the right approach is for me and my goals in that time. And my goals have shifted over the course of the years used to be very heavy into endurance stuff, as I was saying, but now I'm less so into endurance and kind of occasional endurance, but more like into strength training. I've gotten really into grip work and stuff like that. So, um, but regardless, um, a lot of what I did was literally there were supplements involved and like, especially for some of the gut stuff to kind of kill off the candida and C. diff and stuff like that. There were some supplements that I took for a while to, to try and correct that stuff. But 95% of the things that I did was literally just trying, you know, like 
sleeping, like getting my circadian <laughs> rhythm back in line, like, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, trying to limit the, the type of travel that I was doing, um, eating more food, uh, eating, you know, carbohydrates, eating, just eating more, right? Like uh, still ancestral, you know, a whole food diet, which I think is, that's what I like to say is like, we start at a whole foods diet and we go from there. Um, so, you know, single, single, single ingredient fruits, um, and, and just eating more of that stuff. Like that was probably one of the number one things that I, I had to do just to match the energy expenditure that I was putting out from exercising. Um, you know, stress was a big thing for me. It still is a, a battle for me. I, I think that there's one thing that I struggle with. It is stress. Um, and so I've, I've learned to, um, meditation has been a big thing for me. Um, journaling has been a big thing that I've incorporated into my life. Um, since then, um, you know, different things around sleep. I think I still, um, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm like a sleep guru or anything like that, but I get good quality eight hours of sleep every night. Um, and, and that is important to me and I, I prioritize that. And so, you know, like there's nothing, I don't have a, I don't have a, a you know, a, some kind of fancy thing that I did to, to fix my health or like sexy thing that's going to sell a million online books. It was just like, I need to better align the the concepts of ancestral health to the context in which I was trying to perform and live my life. And, um, you know, so I just had to switch things up a little bit. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I know one of the things you talked to Brad about was uh, consuming more. Uh, maybe walk us through that. I have actually gone through that myself. Um, I believe you put you you added about what seven hundred calories on. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's kind of interesting because I just interesting. We're going to talk about this because I just finished up a cut or I'm finishing up a cut right now, and I've, mm. I've dropped a, a whole bunch of weight because <laughs> <laughs> I had to I had to make weight for a, a grip competition. So. Oh wow. Um, uh, I kind of went back in the other direction uh, over the past few months, but I think um, I think the the uh, we've been so ingrained around uh, when you want to become healthy, what do you do? You restrict food, right? You just restrict, right? It, it it seems universal, no matter what diet you believe in or if you follow a diet at all, like. It's like, what do you want to do to lose weight? Well, you got to restrict something, right? And, and, and to the degree, right, the way you lose weight is you eat less calories, right? I mean, you have to you have to balance that that calorie. As much as people hate calories in, calories out, like at the end of the day, you somehow need to manipulate that that formula so that uh, you're you're burning more than you're expending. Um, and there's various ways to do that. And I I 100% agree that there is a million nuanced things about that, like hormones and timing and types of foods and all this other stuff plays a role. But at the end of the day, like we're just we're trying to manipulate that formula a little bit. Um, and so I think that people get so stuck into that mindset that um, they constantly use that as as the way to uh, to lose weight, right? And they're always restricting and always, always, always uh, eating less, 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 right? And that is appropriate for some people at some times. And then other people, I think um, they they might benefit from going in the other direction. I, I recently wrote a blog post um, 
not too long ago about why you should, uh, before you begin trying to lose weight, why you should eat more food before you do that, right? And people online will talk about, well, you know, you'll hear on Instagram the whole concept of reverse dieting, speeding up your metabolism, blah, 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 blah. And I think maybe some of that is true. I think that some people can eat so little that they eventually slow them. I mean, it happens, right? Metabolic adaptation is a, is a proven thing in the research. You will slow your metabolism as you eat less and lose weight. And that's just a natural side effect of, of losing weight, right? That's going to happen. But I think the magic behind eating more food for most people is that they, they end up, they put themselves in a spot where they're, they're not trying to lose weight from eating a very small amount of food, <laughs> right? So like you're, you're already in this spot where you're like, uh, I'm already restricting and the scale's not going down and all along. And I just need to cut back more and more. And then eventually you can't go any further. Like you can't eat, you know, if you're already eating one meal a day and you're not at the body composition you want to be at, what are you supposed to do? Like, right. Ask yourself, like you start yourself, like you're, you have to go in the other direction eventually. Right. And so I think that we're, we're you know, when you eat more food, I think one of the benefits there is you get, you're get, you're providing your body of the signal of abundance. And I also think you're providing your, your mind, your psychology with a, a signal of abundance as well. And both of those things work in tandem to be like, okay, your body can calm down a little bit and get out of this stress state of always being both mentally and physically always being low on energy and always trying to restrict and, and having that in your mind and in your body. Like it's, it's a, your body doesn't want to starve right like it, it's it's seeing that and it's like i'm not you know i'm gonna hold on to this fat because this person's not eating anything and we need to survive because we don't know where our next meal is gonna come and so like i i feel like you know that that plus that physiological change in eating more food and then also i think it gives people more energy so they have more energy to move and work out and exercise and stuff like that and that kind of allows them to burn more energy, right? And like it gets them to the point where maybe they're putting on a little bit more muscle or they're just in general being more active. They're, I mean, it's also well proven. Like if the more you restrict yourself, like the less just fidgeting that you do, like, you know, <laughs> the slower your eyes blink, you know, if you're talking about like people are like bodybuilding levels, right? Um, so like, I feel like you, you need to put yourself in a spot before you start to cut out calories where you are eating more food than you possibly can imagine right mm. and that might seem hard to wrap your head around um if you're someone who has a lot of weight to lose at the moment um but i guarantee that if you start eating more food if you have a lot of weight to lose and you're eating 1100 calories if you somehow get up to you, you end up you know, getting up to like 2,500 calories or 3,000 calories. And you, you at the same time are doing all the other lifestyle practices that I just talked about, sleeping and managing your stress and exercising and moving your body and all that fun stuff. Like maybe you put on a few extra pounds of fat, but you're starting from 3,000 calories as opposed to 11, 1,100 calories, right? And you have a, you, if you have a lot of weight to lose, you would need to cut out a lot of food to get there. And you can't do that from 1,100 calories, right? So, your and your body's your hormones and everything is going to be optimized eating enough proper amount of food and so you put yourself in this state where you're like op you're primed to start losing weight um and that's that's so that's from like the general population point of view but i think as an athlete and for those of us who are very active and brad speaks very 
uh, uh, you know, eloquently about this is like, you want to basically eat, recover, and train, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then repeat that, right? Um, and so if you want to, if you're looking for optimal performance, you need to feel that performance, right? Uh, and I've seen huge performance gains in myself, um, uh, both from a strength point of view, um, cardiovascular, aerobically, I've hit more PRs and stuff like that, just eating as much food as I can possibly eat. Like I was eating in, in whole foods carbs, like, like you know, up, upwards of 3,400 calories, uh, over 400 grams of carbs a day. Um, and just, just eating and eating and eating and eating. <laughs> and, uh, my performance was, you know, I've never seen better performance out of myself. How was the adjustment for that? Cause Cause, um, I did something, well, not quite like that, but, <clears throat> you know, I, I've been into, you know, fasting, um, you know, fairly low carb for, for quite a while, many years. And I didn't, I can't say that I had like this, like feeling of like my health was going down, but I think I, you know, the more I learned about just, you know, health in general from certifications or just from like this podcast, I just, I've interviewed Jay Feldman a few times. Mm. Um, uh, and, uh, and obviously talked with Brad a bit about it and Brad started implementing more food into his, you know, he comes out with a book, two meals a day, and then he starts adding on. A <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, same thing. I mean, we change our views. So this, I mean, I have an intermittent yeah. fasting journal, which I th- I still think I'm not like totally down on, on some of that stuff. I think it can play a role. I think fasting can play a role in people's yeah. lives. I think you just have to use it strategically, but right. In, at my point, uh, where I was doing, I've been low carb and fasting for a while, years and years. I just felt like, especially with my activity level, um, in general, I just felt like I, I, you know, when Brad started going down that road, and I actually listened to your interview, I was like, you know, I'm gonna give that a go and just add in a third meal, and that third meal is about six to seven hundred calories. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting is, I I put on weight initially. But mm. I was just talking to Brad about this on, on my last interview with him not that long ago. But my weight actually just came back to the normal level with adding 700 calories. So I'm eating more, but my weight stayed the same. It did jump in, in, in initially, and then it came back down. Is that something similar that happened to you? Yeah, I, I think my, my my journey was a little bit... So initially, yes. So initially, I I basically added 700 calories over the course of a year and I had a, a DEXA done when I started and a DEXA done when I was when at, at a year later and I was virtually the same body composition. Um, so I didn't gain Fates. or lose fat. Okay. Same um, weight so, or, or did the weight? Uh, I think this, I, I can't remember the exact scale number. Um, okay. It was, uh, it, was it had to be relatively the same. Um, I, I, you know, within a couple pounds. Uh, so I was around, I started around, like, I think it was like 9.6% body fat. And then a year later it was 9.9%, like, which is right. within the, the error margin of the DEXA scan anyways. So, you know, virtually the same. Um, so yeah, I, I ate more, but didn't see any additional fat gain. Um, since then though, when I originally done that, I, I, pushed it further. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I kept eating more and I kept, because my ultimate goal after that was like, I really wanted to put on some size. Like I'm, I've always been a, a real lean 
you know, endurance athlete. Like, you know, I, I have, you know, I have muscle in my body, but I don't have like, you know, a lot of muscle. Right. And being a guy is like, Oh, you could always get more muscle. Right. Um, what guy doesn't want that. Right. And so I, you know, I'd never spent any time seriously pursuing that goal of just like, I want to build some, some mass on my body. And I, so I continued to push it and eventually the scale responded. Like it did go up, you know, um, I got, you know, I think, uh, you know, start to begin, start to end, I'd probably put on 14 pounds or something like that. Which is probably um, not easy to do. What what, what did you what what no. weight did you go from? <laughs> it's not it's yeah, not was, like, I think, like 150 pounds up to like 164, 165 pounds around there. Okay. I topped out at in January. Um and so it was it's not comfortable to eat that amount of food. It is not when you are when you are when you are uh keeping it restricted within whole foods. It's not easy. Yeah. Because like how much... it, the, the volume of food is massive. It's massive. Like try to it... eat 400, 400 grams of carbs from potatoes, white rice and fruit and vegetables. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's a full-time job. <laughs> um, what was a typical day? Like, were you, was it within like three to four meals you would try to get it in or? Yeah. More? So I, my stomach is like very like I can eat and eat and eat, so it's I I have like an unusual advantage of that, and like fiber doesn't particularly bother me either, so I can really go to town on it. But I would get a you know typical day. It was usually within it would be three meals and then like a dessert, right? So a typical day would be I get up, I'd have uh, my you know my breakfast would be uh, a big plate of vegetables, just sautéed vegetables, uh, three to four eggs, uh, some smoked salmon. Um, I'd have a banana and then I would also have, I can't remember some amount of white rice added to that, like purely just, I, I don't really like white rice, but it was just like, I need carbohydrates and that's where I'm getting calories from. So, <laughs> uh, just throw white rice onto that was like the solution to that. Um, and then lunch would be again, a lot of vegetables, um, leftover protein from the night before, generally fish, steak, chicken, pork, whatever. Um, I focus on animal proteins for myself. Um, and then I would have, uh, a bowl of a gluten-free oatmeal with, uh, blueberries and strawberries on top, um, some honey and maple syrup in there. And then, uh, dinner would be, uh, again, protein and vegetables. Um, and then, uh, usually I'm, I love sweet potatoes, so I'd have sweet potatoes almost every night. Um, and some squash, butternut squash, acorn squash, something like that mixed in. And it's like, you know. Like just the amount of potato and squash is probably around 350 grams potato squash. Um, you know, uh, you know, uh, so it's, it's, you know, a, a half a cup of oatmeal was at, at, at dinner, uh, at lunch. You know, I, I can't remember. It was maybe like 200 grams of, of white rice in the morning with breakfast plus the banana. Um, and, and then dessert was another big bowl of berries. Um, you know, maybe a couple. Uh, small pancakes with that <laughs> uh, before bed, and, and then I would just go to bed. Um, yeah, so that that was kind of like my typical day uh, when I got when I really got up there in calories. Um, but they were like massive meals, and you can probably find some pictures of that stuff on my Instagram okay. um, of what that what that looks like uh, at some point. So yeah, um, just visually you can see what yeah. that is. There's a lot a lot of food. <laughs> okay, and now you and now you're in a bit of a cutting mode. Right. Yeah. You, so yeah. in January, I, I, I decided like, okay, I'm, I'm 
I'm feeling to, at this at this point, I put on enough weight. I'm starting to get you know a little uncomfortable with the weight. Um, I you know I wasn't overly. I had no signs of like detrimental health effects or anything like that. Like this entire time, I had my blood drawn and you know everything metabolic health. Everything still looked normal for me. So I had no signs that anything was wrong or whatever. I just starting to be uncomfortable and like eating that much food for that period of time just kind of gets boring and tiring and like it's a lot of work and like you're always thinking about yeah i gotta eat this food and a lot of chewing <laughs> yeah uh so um i decided it's time to switch things up so i decided i'll you know i'll cut down a little bit so I, but initially like to lose you know 10 pounds or so was like nothing because like i was just cutting out stuff that i didn't even really want to eat like the white rice for breakfast like I don't yeah. want that, you know. <laughs> I live without that. Just cut back. I didn't, and I just made smaller portions, right? And it was still like I wasn't. I still felt full because before I felt stuffed, mm-hmm. and now I just felt full, right? right. But right. I dropped like ten pounds, like it was it was nothing, like it wasn't even. I didn't even blink an eye, at it, you know. Um, and then um, after that, I was doing. I had some uh, grip competitions that I wanted to compete in, and. Basically, I was looking at the weight I was lifting and then the weight classes and stuff like that. And I was I was around like 155 pounds. And I the weight if I got down to like 154, I could compete in a lower weight class and like have a much better advantage in the competition. So I was like, okay, I'll drop I'll drop the weight because I'm pretty much there anyways, and it shouldn't be that hard. Right. Um. So eventually, um. I have to I have to lift uh after we get off this podcast actually. Uh but uh I I weighed in this morning at 147. Um so I got um and I'm not gonna go any lower than 147. I'm purely here at 147 just because I want to make weight, make sure I make weight for that, and then I'll I wanna go up because it's honestly it's effect I see it in my performance in my in the gym. Yeah. Um and I don't need to lose any more weight. So um, you know, um performance is more important to me. And also I can I'm right on that edge where I can start to see some of the effects of not eating enough. Like for me, my sleep gets a little wonky every now and then. And I know that's from not eating enough. Um, my mood, I can get like a little lethargic in the afternoon and stuff like that. I just don't have the energy. So I start, I'm starting to see some of those signs where I'm like, ah, I'm right on the border here, of like not eating enough food for the amount of work I'm putting out. Um, so I need to go up uh, in calories a little bit after this, but yeah. And I, I know you mentioned that in that blog post um, about maybe eating more calories. You also mentioned eating like adequate protein, which is obviously important. And then, you know, getting in enough steps for the day and, and, and doing some type of resistance training like three times a week. I think those are like good principles right there. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I like to, I think is important, I think is a real thing is like, this this concept of metabolic flux like i want you to i want you to pump as many calories through the system as possible so you can fuel your activity and eventually the activity you, i want to bolster the calories but also bolster the activity because i want that extra food that you're eating to go to a good use right and by good use i mean like you know going outside and walking and moving around and stuff like that but also like i want you to put on some lean mass like if you're going to gain some weight from eating more food, I want most of that to be from lean mass. So I want, you know, the resistance training, you know, at least two times a week, preferably three times a week, four times a week would be good. Um, and, and those don't have to be like, it doesn't have to be like 
insane, you know, 30 minute sessions, like, you know, just 30 minutes, a couple, you know, a couple sets, a couple lifts and you should be good. Um, but like, that's enough to get most people to, to add some muscle to their body, which is like immensely important. Like I, I think, I think it's starting to become very, you know, more pronounced the, the impact that muscle has to our health. Um, and and uh, it, but it can't be overstated how important it is to to add as much muscle mass to your body before you get to you know 15, 60 years old, um, regardless of how much fat you have. Like muscle is always you could not lose a pound of fat and muscle is going to improve your health no matter what. You know, like that's that's how impactful it is. Um, so yeah, I think you know uh, when you're if you're if you're going to go down this this journey of eating more food, I don't want you to. I don't want your butt to look like a couch cushion. Like you, you yeah. need to be moving. You need to also be incorporating the other stuff that we, you know, doesn't get a lot of airtime, which is the sleep and stress management. And then like going outside for walks and and then exercise, you know, and have, having a good exercise routine, which is a mixture of both cardiovascular work as well as um, strength training, um, you know, three to four times a week or something like that. And then getting your 10,000 steps a day. Um, I know the 10,000 steps rule is like a this, this fictional thing, but it ends up, you know, honestly, the research tends to play out where you're hitting between seven and 10,000 steps. And that seems to be the sweet spot. Um, you know, so I know it's it's not that 10,000 step rule is just some marketing thing that came out of Japan, I think. But uh, it ends up that ended up being uh, pretty accurate if you if you follow it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was I, I, I should start tracking my steps. I really don't. I go for a lot of walks with my dogs. And I also walk when I go off a lot. I was like, I got to start tracking my steps because I don't like to carry my phone on with me a lot of times when I'm on walks. So, <laughs> um, you know, I just got to buy like a little counter or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the ordering is probably the most in- uninvasive step tracker. I, I can imagine it has is other it? benefits too. Okay. But also not, yeah, because it's just a ring, like it wears on her finger, right? So, you yeah. know, not really bothersome. And it has a bunch of other things it tracks. Also, it's, cost it cost a couple hundred dollars so there's that but um yeah i've never I, I i've think, never used the aura ring i've used the whoop do you like the aura ring okay yeah i like the ordering um okay. I, I think uh it, it's it's great it is great for sleep although i can nitpick a little bit about that too yeah um it's um but it does you know it does fairly well tracking your steps um just so anything else it does really good with hrv uh, and resting heart rate and stuff like that, which is important for me. I, I pay attention to that stuff for myself um, mm-hmm. as an athlete for recovery and things like that. Um, so, and it also the new one has a blood oxygen sensor into it and incorporated in it too. So um, you can track that as well, which is nice. Um, I think it's well worth the investment. Um, I've I've had one since they first came out, so I've been using it for several several years now. Um, I think it's I think it's great, but I I, I do like. One of the number one things I look at with my clients when we first start working together is like, okay, I want to know how many steps you're taking. And I realize steps is just, you know, I'm just using it for a proxy for how many times you're moving, you're moving your body throughout the day. You know, it's not the best thing, but for, you know, it's not the most, I shouldn't say it's not the most, it's not the most accurate thing, but nothing is 100% accurate. So I always tell my clients, like, we're just going to look at this just as a proxy for how, how often you're moving. And if I, you know, a lot of people I see coming to me, like, they're taking two to 3000 steps a day and whether that's hundred percent accurate or not, it doesn't matter. Like you're still, it could be off by a couple thousand steps and you're still not moving enough. Right. <laughs> you know, so you're not even in the ballpark yet. So like we know we have work to do. Um, and so I, I 
I harp on them on my clients. Like I, I'm a huge fan of, I, I walk, I love walking. It's like my, that is my downtime. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but I think the benefits of walking are not just from like, I, you went outside and burn some calories. It's just, if you're outside walking, you're in nature, you're getting some sunlight, you're, you're moving your body, you know, maybe you're listening to a podcast to get some education at the same time, or you're just not listening to anything and you're relaxing and letting your mind calm down, which is probably even more important these days. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so many benefits to walking that, um, like, I mean, family time, like I go for walks with my kids and my wife and time to talk with them and like the, the benefits of just moving your body like that is just uh, far outweighs, you know, any inconvenience, <laughs> I think is one of the most important things you can do. I agree. I agree. Do you have a dog? I do not have a dog. I just have kids. Kids are enough. <laughs> Young kids are enough for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I heard. How old are they? Uh, my son is six and my daughter is nine. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you have any races on the horizon? Or are you done doing your your races? No. Uh, so, I'll, I'll I'm going to do a grip competition here. Um, it's virtual, so I'm going to do it uh, as soon as we we uh, end the podcast, and then no rush. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I have plenty of time, but. <laughs> Um, I'm going to do that. And then actually I'm going to race next weekend. Um, I have a race, an obstacle course race I'm doing. And then I have one more planned for, uh, September. What, what, if people want to get into obstacle course racing, what, what, uh, what advice would you give to them? And and is there a good, you know, Uh, place to mm. do that? The advice I would give, um, the thing, the number one thing that people struggle with the most in obstacle course racing is their grip strength, right? So there's a lot of like, this is a simple example, like doing the monkey bars, right? Like most obstacle course races have some variation of monkey bars. And so you have to, you know, everyone knows what monkey bars are. They're swinging across monkey bars as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. You ask the average adult to do that today, and I guarantee they probably can't, uh, they can't complete that task <laughs> like they yeah. did when they were a kid. Um, and lots of people, it's the limiting factor is their grip. They can't hold their body, uh, up in the air, right? They can't support their, their body weight with their hands. Mm-hmm. And, um, so the number one thing that I would have people work on, because you can walk an obstacle course race, you don't have to run. So like, you don't have to run if you don't want to. Um, so everyone, most people can walk. Um, the, the thing that people are, everyone's going to struggle with is their grip. Um, so, uh, you know, I think the simplest exercise that I would suggest is, well, the first thing, if you're not strength training, you need to start strength training because when you're strength training, you're gripping things and holding onto them. And that's going to help probably number one, just as a byproduct of, of doing strength training. Um, but probably the easiest, most uh, grip type of exercise that that's most accessible to people is just hanging from a bar. Right? So if you imagine going to the monkey bars and maybe you can't do the monkey bars, but you know, at, at the playground, your local playground, um, you just go up to the monkey bars in, in uh, start a timer and then and hang from there and see how long you can hang for. Right. And your goal is to improve that time over, you know, over the course of, of, of several weeks. So you can find a pull up bar at your gym or whatever. And just, you know, at the end of your workout, you go and hang for a little bit. Um, the other thing you can do to improve that that's simple is just grab a couple dumbbells or kettlebells and walk around and carry them do some farmer's carries. Mm-hmm. It can be single arm farmer's carries. It can be double arm farmer's carries. It doesn't matter. Just walk with some weight in your hands. Um, and then the other simple thing you could do from a grip point of view, and this is getting a little bit slightly more advanced, but still very accessible as long as you have your, you have a gym 
at home uh, or a gym that you go to is just get some plates and you pinch them between your hands. Mm. So instead of like, you know, you just pinch them like a lobster or a crab or whatever. Right. They're called plate pinches and you just walk, do your farmer's carries pinching the plates together and no. see how long you can. You grab, I remember doing those. You, I haven't done those in forever, but those are yeah. tough. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. grab 25 pounds for most people is going to be incredibly challenging. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that that's that that would be there's a ton of other grip exercises that I could go over with. But that's that's where I would start for, for most people. And the other, I, I'll, yeah, go I'll, mention, I'll mention one other thing is because it just popped in my head. Mm-hmm. There is this and it's fairly cheap and accessible. So you can go go to on Amazon and uh, type in fat grips, F-A-T. Oh, yeah. R-I-P-Z. And there are these things that go around dumbbells or the barbell and they add um, several inches to the bar. And so you can't get your hands around them as much. So you can do all the same exercises that you would do mm-hmm. with a dumbbell or a barbell, but your grip is the limiting factor because of how thick the bar is. And so for men, there's they're different colors and they correspond to different thickness. But men, I would start with the blue ones. For females, I would start with the black ones. And that be it, it costs like 20, 25 bucks on Amazon. Um, that would be another good way to increase grip strength. And I will say that grip strength is important for everyone, not if you're just doing obstacle course racing, because go look up the research to, to how grip strength correlates to longevity and you'll you'll understand why that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, is there a certain... Or, I mean, I actually just Googled obstacle course races in Chicago. You got me motivated. Maybe I'll sign up for one. I've never, <laughs> I've never done one, but you know, it'd be fun. Is it, There seems like there's quite a bit. There's a Spartan racing and the Tough yeah. Mudder. Is, is there a certain yeah. group organization that you go to or? Yeah. Un- unfortunately, a lot of the, a lot of the different uh, companies have uh, gone out of business since COVID. So COVID was a tough time for mm-hmm. everyone, obviously, but right. um, uh, obstacle course racing seemed to be particularly affected. I don't know what it's like with triathlon or other things like that, but you know, these, the smaller, obstacle course race organizations really struggled um, post COVID and a lot of them had gone out of business uh, unfortunately, because some of the smaller ones were some of the cooler ones, but um, mm. so I've obviously Spartans, the the number one um, they're, they're the biggest um, and they tough mutter used to be a sep- separate brand, but Spartan acquired them. So really tough mutter and Spartan are the same. Although the race, the way they do their races are very different. They're very different style races. Mm-hmm. Um, so um but either one of those is, is, a, is a good jumping off point. Um, obviously, you know, I would don't go like, you know, full on, you know, half marathon distance, like stick right. to the 5K to begin with. Uh, that'd be enough for most people. Um, I really encourage people. They have different Spartan has different um, options where you can do like a, um, actually Spartan even has a 3K version now, but I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily start there because it's really short and intense. But um they have uh, uh Spartan also has like a stadium stadium like brand or whatever. Like they race inside of like, uh, um, you know, football stadiums or, or major league ballparks and stuff like that, which is really cool, especially if you're a, a sports fan. So like, I really like the Red Sox. So it's really cool to go when they come to Fenway, Fenway park to go do uh, the race in Fenway park. That's really a lot of fun. Um, it's also if you're not a fan of like trail running and stuff like that, you're running inside a concrete jungle. So um it's right. it's more accessible for people. Um that's good. I think Savage is another good brand of obstacle course races. If you can find them, I think they're only out kind of 
east of the Mississippi, though. Okay. Um, so West Coast people might not see that. Um, there's the Obstacle Course Racing World Championships, which obviously sounds very intimidating. But um, if you ever get a chance to check that out, that'd be that's awesome. Uh, I've, I've done that a few times, and that's like the pinnacle, I think, of, of obstacle course racing, obviously. And it's, it's the environment, the fans, the, everything about it is just they take they basically take all the best obstacles from around the world and they mm. bring them to this one spot. And um, so you get really to see what the best of the best look like. Um, but, yeah, I would say, you know, Spartan Savage are probably the, the biggest brands. Yeah. That I, Tough Mudder. Tough Mudder as well. Yeah. Tough Mudder is fun if you want to do it with a group of people. Um, so I've done a couple of Tough Mudders with like a bunch of friends, and that can be because there's some there's some obstacles in Tough Mudders that you can only accomplish with several people. So like you have to carry this giant log, right? So like it's fun to get together a bunch of people and and go and do that, and so that can be fun a fun group activity. Oh, you got yeah. me going now. Now I'm... <laughs> I really encourage people to. I mean. I encourage people to find something that it, they, some activity that is, that allows them to express their physicality in some way. I don't care if it's ops course racing, it could be golfing, it could be, I got into skiing, you know, this past winter, mm-hmm. which is kind of weird because I live in New Hampshire. It's the first time I ever skied. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but you know, kiteboarding, you know, something, something that, you know, have you ever I, done slacklining? Uh, I have been on a slack line. Okay. Uh, I, I completely am horrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I need something to hold on to. Um, right. Yeah. It's, it's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I think I first did it. I was like in Israel and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And then I think I did it one other time and I have some room in my backyard. So I did put it up, but I've realized that I needed to put up some, uh, uh, you know, you mm. got the slack line that you walk on, but I needed to put the other line up on the, the guide wrote the guide. The gui- line yeah, cause I, yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, that's the only way to, I think, start. Um, yeah. Same here. But, same here. Yeah. Unless you have someone there. You know, I was going to ask yeah. my wife to like be there. Hold my hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hold my hand. Help me across this. Um, yeah. I do agree. I think having these little things, you know, I think for me, like, I, I mean, I've been lifting for a long time. I mean, I do other things. I, I love golf, but like, yeah, I think it's good to have things in your calendar to work towards. And, um, you know, things like these races could be a good place to start. Yeah. I, I think, you know, don't, it's intimidating. These things can be intimidating, like going and, and doing, but there's always, you know, another person there that's in the same boat as you. Right. right. And like, and you can always find, if you find someone to do something with you, like do it as a group, it's, it's so much fun. Like, yeah. I, I also, I also like these types. One of the, I think one of the things that I discovered about obstacle horse racing that I really loved, that was a benefit. Um, that wasn't my initial motivation for doing it at all was the community. Hmm. You know, a lot of people talk about how, you know, the the best thing about CrossFit was the community aspect of it. And I think one of the best things about obstacle course racing is the same thing as the community aspect of it. Yeah. Because when you get there and you go to a race, you know, if you're struggling on an obstacle, like someone I've helped numerous people, like I, I've just stopped and I've been like, okay, you know, I'll help you. I'll boost you over this wall or right. try it this way. Or, you know, like, you know, everyone is always there to support you. And probably the, the best example of this is I did an, an ultra distance obstacle course race which was a 50 K obstacle wow. course race. And they made you wear this special bib that indicate that you were doing the ultra distance as opposed to everyone else. 
And so whenever I walked by someone and I had that bib on, they were like, oh, go get them, you know, great job, keep going, you know, because they know that you're going to be out there for, I was out there for like 13 hours, you know, so you're going to be out there forever and doing the obstacles. And when you come up to an obstacle with the bib on, people just step aside and be like, go ahead, go ahead, go through and stuff like that. So like the community aspect and like I I have fun training with other people that do obstacle course racing. Like I I have a, um, a buddy who has a bunch of land and he's literally built an obstacle course in his backyard. And so like a bunch of us go there, you know, I try to go there every so often to just hang out and and train and, and just, you know, shoot the shit with, with everyone else. And, and I think community is, is so big. It's so underrelated. And I think that's, again, speaks back to this ancestral health point of view. Like we, we evolved in tribes and we need a community and the past several years have been, uh, you know, some of that has been taken away. And I think we have a hard, we're having a hard time coming back from that and readjusting. And there's some convenience to not being around people and people enjoyed mm-hmm. it for a while. But I think uh, we do need to have this community. We do need to have people. We need to have people we talk to and, and see face to face and have fun with. And, and I think, you know, physical activities like doing a race or, or whatever, you know, kiteboarding or golfing or, um, you know, I don't know, you know, what a pick playing tennis, you know, you're doing this with other people. And I think that is a hugely un- underrated, un- underrated piece of, of, of those activities and, and having that in your life. Um, so I, I think that's important too. Yeah, I agree. I, I totally agree. And, um, I always ask this, we'll, we'll finish up with this question. What's the, what is, uh, one tip you give someone that's maybe, looking to get their body back to what it once was 10, 15 years ago. I'm sure we've hit on a lot of different tips today, but maybe what, what one thing would you give someone to start with? Um, I said it earlier. I said uh, walking is my favorite pastime, my, my favorite activity to do. And I think that walking is the number one thing that you can do. Um, and it, it's just, like I said, like I said before, it, it's not, it, yeah, you burn a little bit of calories doing it, but like, it, it can improve your sleep. It can improve your stress. If you do it with other people, you could do it. Improves your social connection, like we were just talking about. And mm-hmm. you have all the the and the vitamin D and you know being out in nature and right. I, I just the, the the benefits. The list is endless, right? It, it impacts every other aspect of your health: um, sleep, stress, uh, body composition, you know, uh, hormone balance. All that stuff is all impacted by just going for a walk outside. And it's accessible to everyone. You just need a pair of shoes. And as long as you uh, can can move your legs, you can go outside and do it. Um, and uh, yeah. it's I think that is the number one thing that I would I would tell people to start with. It's not sexy. I'm not going to sell a book about it. I'm not <laughs> nothing. But I really do believe that it is it's the most one of the most important things you can do. Yeah, I'm I'm there with you. I agree. Uh, it's probably one of the things I look forward to the most. Like even when I travel without my dogs, I still go for, I still enjoy those walks. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's fun. I like doing it with, with my dogs, but yeah, it's like you get into that habit of just doing it. Um, and yeah. it just get, you know, first thing in the morning, that's what we do. So yeah. Yeah. yeah um, sure. all right. Where, where Ryan, where's the best place to your website? Is it rjbhealth.com? It's actually dot coach. So oh, oh, there you go. You know what? I didn't I pl- even see that. Yeah, <laughs> I played a little trick on everyone. Uh, yeah, yeah so that's my website cool. is rjbhealth.coach. Okay. Uh, not not dot com. Um, so that's my website. Uh, the best way to keep up with all the stuff that I'm 
I'm doing and putting out there, uh, especially if you're not a social media person, you can sign up for my newsletter. So if you go to that website, uh, right on the top, you'll see a newsletter link and you just pop in your email address there. Um, I'm a firm believer of putting out free content and I try my best to do it uh, once, at least once a week, uh, every, uh, every week throughout the year. So uh, I'm not going to spam you with a whole bunch of stuff. I usually send out a blog post, a, a short newsletter and a video every week. Most of that information, if not all of it, is actionable stuff that you can put to work every single day and is free and I'm not going to charge you for it or anything like that. So um, if you want to keep up with all the things um, I'm doing and get some uh, what I hope is quality information, that's where I would send you. Um, if you are a social media person, you can uh, keep up with me there. Uh, my health coaching uh, Instagram handle is RJB Health uh, Coaching. RJB Health Coaching. I'll send this all to you so you can throw it in the show notes or whatever. Yeah, I will. Um, uh, my my personal in- Instagram, if you if you want to see health coaching related stuff, but some personal stuff is Ryan Jason Baxter as well. Okay. Um, and then you can you can Google my Google RJB Health Coaching or or um, my name, and you can find me on Facebook and all that fun stuff too, other places. But yeah, those are the those are the two places I would send people to. Ryan, well, this was great. Thank you for coming on. And uh, I definitely will put all your contact in the uh, show notes. So if people want to reach out or follow you uh, or, or sign up for your newsletter, they can do that. So Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on. And if, like I said, if anyone has any questions or anything, feel free to direct message or reach out. I'm happy to chat. Don't, don't be shy. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.